Hello, Georgia, and hello, Metro Augusta. In fact, hello, everybody, wherever you are. I am Janice Allen Jackson, welcoming you to the February 8th edition of Local Matters Podcast of Georgia, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. To learn more about me and the services that we provide, please go to JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Well, this episode is really a special one because it is my first solo YouTube video. If you are new to the Local Matters family, please subscribe to our channel because every now and then we will drop a great video and we want you to be able to see and hear all of the discussions that we have here on the Local Matters podcast of Georgia. We also drop a new podcast episode every week. They come out on Wednesday afternoons and you can find the Local Matters podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Finally, I will also invite you to follow the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia on Facebook. Uh, We launched a page several months ago, and all of our audio episodes are there as well as our video episodes. Well, I decided to do this first video episode, solo video episode, because we had something very unique take place in our country. Unique, unfortunate unfathomable. Um, You can just go on with the adjectives to use for what happened on January 7th in Memphis, Tennessee. And because this is essentially a local government matter, as you know, police fall under the auspices of city and county governments in our country. uh, I thought it was very, very appropriate for me to address this very serious topic. Um, If we can, um, I want to get started, not so much with the incident, but I want to get started with a little bit about Memphis. For those of you who are in the Augusta area, Memphis is an eight-hour drive from Augusta. Uh, I've made two trips there. Uh, First one was way back in the mid-90s. I went to Memphis for a business meeting. I got a chance to stay for a couple of extra days just to learn more about the community, visit the Civil Rights Museum, uh, and do a couple of other things there. Uh, And then most recently in 2018 or so, my family and I visited Memphis with a family friend, uh, and we did all of the things that you would do in Memphis. Uh, First, we went to the Civil Rights Museum, which had been expanded since I had been there back in the 90s. We took a cruise down the Mississippi River. We rode in a horse-drawn carriage. We attended a minor league baseball game. Uh, We went to the Beale Street Entertainment District, uh, and that included the B.B. King Blues Club, where the food and the house band were absolutely fabulous. Um, Having said all that, though, my favorite part of the trip was getting a chance to visit the Stax Museum, uh, Stax Records Museum, you know, Stax, Isaac Hayes, etc. We went there and it's not just 
a museum about stacks. It also really traces the history of African-American music in this country. So I had a wonderful time there. We stayed for several hours, and quite frankly, I could have stayed for longer. There's a bookstore there, um, just, a, just a wonderful place to be. Um, and I uh, also found out that one of my favorite bands, um, Confunction, actually started at Stax. They were a house band at Stax, along with the Barcades and several other uh, organizations, So several of the music groups. So the Stax Museum was a great place to visit, and um, I, though, noticed that the scenery changes a little once you leave the Beale Street Entertainment District and you get over to the uh, museum area. Um, it's very much a neighborhood, just your standard neighborhood where the, the recording studio was located. And as you look around, you start seeing real people, not just the tourist types, um, but you see the real people who live in Memphis on a daily basis. Um, I learned that Aretha Franklin's birth home was actually just a little ways away from the Stax Museum. Uh, so that just gives you a feel of kind of, you know, where it is as you think about that. Um, one of the things that I also did in terms of learning more about the city was to research their population uh, right now, Memphis has about 628,000 people, uh, 628,000 residents in the city. Also, um, it is the quote-unquote blackest of all the metropolitan areas in the country uh, or of the top 78 metro areas in the country. Um, there are 48.5% of their residents are African-American in Memphis and it's not even close. Uh, there are a few cities that are slightly below them, um, well, more than slightly. The next cities on the list are more like 38% or 36% African-American. Um, you look at cities like um, Baton Rouge, Atlanta, and again, I'm saying metro area. I'm not saying the city population itself. So when you say metro Area It encompasses various other cities and counties that may be outside that larger city. So Memphis is at 48 percent. Atlanta's at 36 percent. Hopefully that puts you in perspective for you uh, about the number of people of color that are in that area. Uh, one of the other things that I found out as I researched Memphis is that their crime is very, very serious. Um I looked at some of the larger cities and tried to determine, well, who has the highest number of murders in our country? Think about this. Chicago has 2.7 million residents and has the highest number of murders last year at 723. Following Chicago was New York with 500. Uh, and, you know, New York has over 8 million people. Uh, Los Angeles has over 3 million, 3.8 million people. They had 382 murders. And Memphis was right behind them at 300 murders with only 628,000 uh, in their population. By comparison, for those of you who are closer to the southeastern United States, Atlanta has a little over 500,000 residents and had 170 murders. Charlotte, North Carolina is almost 900,000 residents and had 100 murders. So you just think about that. Memphis is smaller than Charlotte. It's a little bigger than Atlanta. 
and their number of murders in Memphis was closer to Los Angeles and New York City than it is to uh, Atlanta and Charlotte. So there's no question that they have a serious crime problem. Uh, I've also determined from my research that in addition to the murder rate, there is also a high number of carjackings, car theft, uh, reckless driving, just a, a number of inv- offenses that make for a community that does not have a perception of safety, which leads us into, in large part, a lot of the things that you have seen and heard on the news. Uh, they talk about this Scorpion unit that the officers were a part of. We'll get into some details later, but I will say this, that from what I've researched, it appeared that residents of the city actually called for the police department and this mayor, council people, to do something different because these crime uh, statistics were so outrageous and the perception of safety is not good. So the residents were asking for something, and what they got was a Scorpion unit. And we'll get into a little bit later about what that unit is, what they do, and how these special operations units work. Uh, Before I get into that, too, I want you all to know, particularly those who are new to the Local Matters family, uh, that when I do a podcast or a video cast, uh, I do a good deal of research. Um, This started in earnest for me uh, the Sunday after uh, the individuals were charged, the police officers were charged. Um, Started with social media conversation. I happened to be a member of a few groups And those groups include residents of various uh, parts of the country. And I saw comments from people who actually live in Memphis. And from there, I started picking up some suspicions about whether this was really a police incident or if it was some other type of incident. And when I say that to say, is there something more personal going on here and Uh, From everything that I have seen, read, and heard from people who live in the Memphis area, they do indeed believe that there was something else going on other than the traffic stop that has been uh, put out uh, front here. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, paid attention to social media conversation. I also talked to several friends of mine who I know pay attention to things like this. And one of those is a retired police chief that I worked with for over 12 years, uh, got his perspective on the incident. I also uh, read probably eight or so newspaper articles, watched at least two dozen YouTube videos, and uh, watched six, eight, 10, 12 national news stories. So I basically immersed myself into this topic so that I could learn as much as I could uh, in order to uh, accurately portray this and also to develop my opinions on it. I'm one of those people who does not really form an opinion until I've gathered a lot of information. uh, And I just wanted to make sure that I had done all of that so that I could really prepare for a good discussion on this topic. Um, First, Let's describe the incident now that we know a little bit more about Memphis and um, how I got ready for this. I want to talk some about the incident itself. And I will caution you to let you know that I have not watched the video. Um, When it first came out, I said to myself, well, you know, I'm not ready today. When I get ready, I'll go ahead and watch. Uh, It's now a few days later. And I haven't gotten ready. And to be honest, I'm not sure that I will ever be ready to watch that. 
Um, I personally am one who does not even enjoy watching violence in a fictional movie. I mean, folks stabbing each other and shooting each other and beating each other. I don't even watch that stuff on a movie, more or less something that happened in real life. Um, but because there is so much information out there, uh, I've been able, I think, in a pretty good way, piece together uh, enough of what happened to have a good understanding of the circumstances. Uh, first, um, January 7th, there was a traffic stop. Um, it has since been determined that there was no reckless driving. The chief of police, uh, Chief Davis, uh, made that clear that she saw no evidence of that. Um, but that was the reason uh, that was stated for the stop. Uh, also, we've determined that the police report that was provided by the officers in question was wildly inaccurate. Um, once you compare the video to the report, you found out that they weren't talking about the same things. And, of course, we know that this isn't the first time uh, that there has been inaccurate uh, reporting of the incidents on a police report. Uh, so there's nothing unusual there, um, but it speaks to uh, the lack of trust that many in our country have about law enforcement and about government in general. If a police report is not going to be accurate, well, what can you trust? Uh, if we as citizens falsify a police report, that's considered a crime. So we expect our sworn officers to do better. But in this particular instance and in many others, they did not. Um, that was January 7th when the initial incident happened. Uh, I understand from what I have read and watched that one of the officers actually grabbed Mr. Nichols out of the vehicle, just jerked him out of the vehicle while Mr. Nichols is asking what did I do? Um, so you you start there. Uh, he uh, was tased. He ran away. And then the other officers caught him. Uh, initially, there were five officers that were involved. Um, then there was a sixth who has now also been terminated, and we'll get to those names. Um, but basically, stopped, dragged out of the car. He was fearful. He ran away. Also to note, he was very close to his home when this happened. Officers ran him down and then literally beat him to death. They said the actual beating only took place over about three minutes. But when you have multiple people who are much larger than the uh, gentleman in question, Mr. Nichols, who understand he was roughly 150 pounds, uh, several of these police officers were big dudes um, in, in the street lingo. So this was not a fair fight to begin with, and nobody knows why there was a fight. Uh, on January 10th, he died. Um, and on January 20th, the first five officers were dismissed um, their names were Justin Smith, Desmond Mills, Jr., Emmett Martin III, Demetrius Haley, and Tadarius Bean. Uh, a sixth officer named Preston Hemphill, first five officers were black, white officer Preston Hemphill, who again is the person that initially dragged him out of the car. Uh, he was terminated a few days after that. Uh, also, the Memphis Fire Department has terminated uh, two emergency medical technicians and one fire lieutenant for their lack of action over the course of almost 20 minutes. Um, they just didn't do anything. Uh, this incident is unique for a number of reasons. 
Uh, one, um, because most of the folks involved with it were African-American. Um, we have certainly seen instances, heard of instances where African-American officers have roughed a suspect up, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, but this is one of the first where we've seen, or maybe the absolute first where we've seen somebody literally beaten to death. Also unique because you know that the officers had to know about the cameras. They had body cams. Uh, there were cams on the street, on the light poles, which we will assume that they knew about as well. But they went ahead and did this anyway. Um, it just it seemed surreal, um, obviously tragic, uh, and it just left me wondering just why and what were they thinking at the point that they did this. Uh, it reminded me of when my children were small uh, and they did something that didn't make a lot of sense. I would say, what are you thinking? What were you thinking? And they tease me about that now. You know, every time something comes up, they all what were you thinking? You know, that's one of the things that they remember most about their childhood. And that's what I am left with from this incident. What were they thinking? I mean, between the cameras, between the fact that they were on duty, um, you know, they were being paid by the taxpaying citizens of Memphis, Tennessee, while they were killing somebody. So I just want, you know, what were you thinking? What was going through their heads? And, of course, as I go back to some of what I have seen on social media and um, on the various YouTube videos, there is a pervasive feeling that this had to do with a girlfriend or ex-girlfriend or the mother of a child of one of these officers. Um, there is the thinking that either... Uh, former officer Haley uh, was angry because uh, Mr. Nichols was dating his ex-girlfriend or he wanted to get his ex-girlfriend back, you know, whatever, whatever. They thought that it had something to do with a, a male-female relationship. And that was why uh, Haley in particular was out to get him. Uh, I have seen on social media pictures of the young woman in question. I've seen her being named, um, I have even seen somebody allege that uh, former officer Haley was going to barbershops in the area asking who Tyree Nichols was. So there seem to be a lot of people in Memphis who believe that that is the reason for all of this. Um, the family of Mr. Nichols, his father has said, no, that's not true. He was not dating the young woman. But. All I have to say to that is, if you have a 29-year-old son, you don't know what he's doing 24 hours a day. Um, so if that's the reason, um, if it's not, you still got to ask, what were they thinking and why were they doing this? Why did they feel like they needed to do this in this particular case? Um, and if that was the case, I'm wondering, okay, you might get angry, but how do you talk five, four or five other people into doing it with you? It just seems unfathomable that any group of people could do this. Um, but now let's talk a little bit about the unit that they were on, the Scorpion unit. 
the Scorpion unit was started. I actually saw two different versions of this. One said the unit was started after the current chief, uh, C.J. Davis, came into place in 2021. Heard another uh story that said it actually was started a little bit before she got there. Um, But as I understand it, the reason that the unit was set up was that residents of the community really wanted something to be done. And those residents were pressuring their police department, their mayor, their council to do something about the out of control crime. Um, So you get the unit and it's, you know, Scorpion here, it was Red Dog in Atlanta. Different cities have different names for it. Sometimes it's an acronym, sometimes it's not. Um, It's just a special operations or uh, a group, a special group that's set aside to work a specific area, in this case, working this very um, specific area in Memphis. Um, The unit only included about 40 officers, So with the six who were there this day, they were six out of the 40 in the whole unit. Uh, I also took a look at the Memphis uh, Police Department numbers. There are about 2,000 people who work there. Not sure how many of those are sworn. You know, there got to be records clerks and some other folks who are not sworn officers. But you got to think the department probably has at least 1,500 sworn personnel. And only 40 of those are in this particular unit. Um, the idea behind it is just crime suppression uh, to deal with some of those issues like reckless driving, like car break-ins, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I also picked up from some of the chatter that this particular area where they were is near the area where the car break-ins are most prevalent, but it's not exactly in that area. So that also begged the question of why they were over in that particular area too. Um, next question I had, who are these guys? Um, there, as I said, six of them involved now. Um, first thing I noticed when I looked was the age of the guys. Uh, Justin Smith is 28. Desmond Mills is 32. Emmett Martin third is 30 years of age. Demetrius Haley is 30 years of age. And Darius Bean is 24. Uh, Preston Hempel is 26. So these are all youngsters as it, as it goes. And from my background in local government, the first thing that hit me was most of these guys are too young to put on a special operations team. I mean, most of the time when you set up these, you're looking for not only your more aggressive officers, you're also looking for more seasoned officers uh, you want those who are younger, those who just got on the force. And a couple of these guys were hired in 2020. So they only had, you know, two years less than some of them came in the middle of the year in 2020. So they only had like a year and a half of experience before this happened. A couple of them came in in 17 and 18. I think the, the veteran among the group started in 2017. So you look at these people and you wonder, did they have the experience, the background to do this? Uh, Some others who worked in the department have alleged that the training to be on this unit is very scant. It's just a couple of days some PowerPoints and, you know, they're sent out on the street for this very aggressive work. Um, And that is not a formula for success. Also, I looked in terms of the educational background, three of them are college educated, 
Two of them are former college football players, uh, one being a former tight end. The other one was an offensive lineman. Uh, so these are guys who, yes, are very aggressive, uh, very physical, um, all of those things, um, which when you combine with lack of experience, don't make for a good situation. Um, also saw one comment where somebody asked, well, the chief should be selecting personally who goes on these sorts of special operations units. I don't know the answer to that question, but I would suspect with a department the size of the Memphis PD, she probably was not directly engaged in making those decisions um, because just, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 employees, she probably knows some of them. She probably doesn't know a lot of them, especially since she's only been there since 2021. So uh, hopefully there was a structure in place where she outlined uh, what the criteria would be for someone to be selected for this Scorpion unit. But uh, there's uh, that's all up for speculation at this point. Uh, I talked about some of the unique uh, aspects of this. Uh, one, with the race of the officers, uh, Memphis PD is about 68% African-American. Uh, so it stands to reason that um, that would be the case. Uh, what really struck me, though, is that going back, and I've been around policing for a long, long time now, uh, going back in my career, one of the things that we used to do to uh, improve police community relations, to build trust, and to hopefully wind up with a fairer environment was to bring in more officers of color. Uh, in this instance, we see that that's not working. Uh, I also read um, many times over that there have been complaints about this Scorpion unit from the beginning. Um, there were always complaints that they were too rough, uh, but Many times I found out from talking to my former police chief was that um, people are afraid to complain. So for every one complaint you get, there are probably 10 things that would have been justifiable as a complaint that never came in. Um, that is because a suspect is afraid to call more attention to him or herself, uh, particularly if they really are guilty. Uh, they're just trying to, to get away. They're not trying to uh, call attention to themselves and what happened. So they're in a bad position to try to report things that may have happened to them that were unfair because they don't want to make matters worse for themselves uh, when it's time for them to go to court. Also uh, unusual uh, from the standpoint that um, you know some people are saying, well, he ran and that was the problem. He wasn't following directions. But there was no way for him to follow directions. I read one report that said there were 70 instructions issued uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, so they were telling him, you know, put your hand behind your back, turn to the side, et cetera, et cetera. There's just no way to follow all of those commands at the same time. So whatever he did was going to be something that was wrong. Um also, he was very close to his home. I think they said that by the time he made it to the second location, he was only about 80 yards for, from his home. Um, and that's where the worst of the beating took place. Um, you've heard that he was calling for his mother. Well, yeah, he was. Um, I heard that. I did he overhear it. Didn't watch the video, but I listened to some of it um, because he was so close to home. So all of this is, is just really tragic. Stop for apparently no reason. 
rumored that this was more personal than it was business. Um, inexperienced officers. One of the other things that my uh, chief friend uh, explained to me was that it's obvious from the way all this took place that there was minimal supervision for this unit, and that is not unusual uh, all, either uh, for these specialized units because you are supposed to have your more trained officers there, more experienced officers as well. Uh, you you can expect to run those with, with less supervision, but you cannot run this with with a low amount of supervision when you have uh, inexperienced personnel like that. Um, I also, of course, after we hear all this, we see it. Um, we expect the prosecution from the DA. I also watched a video with the attorneys who are representing at least two of the officers. Um, they seem to be very shrewd, very experienced attorneys, and they seemed a little almost overly cocky. Uh, that they thought they would be able to put up a good defense for the two clients that they are currently serving, those being Martin and Mills. Uh, so we'll see how all of that plays out when it gets to court, get to court. Um, we have people also saying, well, this is great because we had a swift, swift um, process to get them fired and charged, certainly much, much quicker than we've seen before, uh, when I first saw that, I had two responses, two reactions to it. My first reaction was, yeah, maybe quicker because the suspects are black uh, or the police who have become suspects are black. Um, that is so unusual. Um, so it's just curious that those two things match up. We have not heard a peep as far as I can tell from the police union or police association, or whatever they have there in Memphis. Um, there's not that give them the benefit of the doubt. I have only heard that from the lawyers who are being paid to represent them. Um, so this is just so unique in so many ways. Uh, we start with the landmark case with uh, from 1992 with Rodney King. That was the first time, you know, we had camcorders and we could see one of these beatings take place. We know many had happened before that. First time we saw it. On camera, we saw the George Floyd case because everybody was watching because it was the pandemic and we didn't have anything else to do but watch on TV. And we saw this one because it was so horrific, so singular, uh, and just, again, you know, just unbelievable that this could happen uh, in the public streets of Memphis. Um, this has, of course, now having described all of that, um, I ask myself, you know, where do we go from here uh, in terms of policing? And one of the things that um, I have to point out is something I want. I'm big on analogies, and I want folks to think about this analogy. A few weeks ago, I had a guest on talk about artificial intelligence and how that capability has reduced the need for people, employees, et cetera, in certain types of jobs. I'm certainly not expecting or not advocating for robots to take the place of police, but I want us to think through what are the steps that we can take to ensure that we don't need as many police in this country uh, as we currently think that we do. Um, and what I'm saying is not to have folks run loose, just the okay corral on the streets, in our country, not suggesting that by any stretch of the imagination. What I'm suggesting is that police departments are one way that we can create safety. 
but there are also other means to create safe environments. And I want us to seriously and earnestly take a look at what those things are. Um, There's some people, um, the police abolitionists, who want to just abolish police, period. Some of the people who are saying that happen to be closely related to me. And what I tell them is uh, you don't want that. That is unrealistic. We, we will just, you know, be overrun with crime if there is no such thing as a police force anywhere in the country. So abolition, nah, I don't support that. Reform police is the next group of people you hear saying, you know, we don't get rid of police. We just change it. Um, reform has been slow taking place in our country. Um, no matter how many strategies we put in place, community-oriented policing, as I referenced earlier, having a more diverse police force, uh, a more well-trained police force, this again points out at least three of these guys are college-educated. So um, the education, the diversity did nothing to save Tyree Nichols. And it hasn't done much to save others. As we indicated, there have been plenty of other complaints about the Scorpion unit so and other special operations units throughout the country. So um, reform advocates talk about bringing in a better quality of person so you don't have as many bad apples as we appear to have now. Uh, but that's a long, long haul. I mean, one of the things that I noticed in the George Floyd instance was that that department had banned chokeholds a long time before that event happened in May of 2020, um, but they were still using them. So when you have, you can say that we stopped doing this, but if you have officers who've been around for 20 years, it's hard to get them to change. Um, I have heard uh, in some of the conversations about this incident that Memphis itself has been rife with corruption for a while, not just in the police department, but in other aspects of their government. Um, that's I don't know how true that is because I don't live there, haven't studied it, but there's the allegation there that there's corruption at various levels. And if you're dealing with people who are corrupt, they're going to do some things that they shouldn't do, even if that's what the rules say that they're supposed to do. So reform has its place. Uh, we certainly hope that the George Floyd uh, Justice Act comes to fruition from our Congress. Um, but even if that comes from the federal level, we know that these changes have to really be implemented at the local level. And we wonder, you know, how long will it take for those things to really get where they should be? Uh, one of the other very difficult things about the idea of reforming police is that the number of police officers that you have, uh, every department may say, hey, I've got positions for 500, 700, 200 officers, but none of them can fill all those positions. And every time you have one of these incidents, it makes it less likely that they're ever going to be able to fill those positions. And when they do have uh, their officers, because those positions aren't filled, they are having to work extra hard. Some of these departments have gone to 10 and 12 hour shifts for their staff because um, they just don't have enough officers to go around. And you know what happens to all of us. If we've got to work a 10 or 12-hour shift, we get tired, we get cranky, we start making mistakes. So none of this is good. 
uh, for the departments or the citizenry that they are supposed to be serving. Um, so there's just a lot of things to think about about as to whether the current model for policing in our country is tenable. Um, so having said that, is it reform police or is it reform public safety? And my idea is that the answer is to reform public safety. There are alternative means to creating safe communities. It won't take us, uh, it will take us a long time to get there. I don't want to mislead anybody. Um, but you got to start somewhere. Uh, and for me, the somewhere is good prenatal care. Uh, there have been various demonstration programs and test programs where we see that if you start um, the mother with good prenatal care, you get a healthy baby. Um, you get that child into a quality early childhood education program. Uh, they get an education uh, at the uh, secondary level and then maybe even at the post-secondary level where they learn to do something that is uh, going to place them in a position to earn a good living for themselves. You provide recreation services um, I, I will never forget how uh, in my days as a city manager, um, there would be discussion about adding resources to the police department. And my recreation director would lean over to me and say, well, you know, if they would give me more money for recreation services, I could keep some of these kids off the street. So he knew back in the 90s that the answer wasn't always more police, more guns, a more militarized police force. I mean, he knew that those things were not the answer. So um, let's look at recreation uh, in addition to education, in addition to good health care um, as alternative means, again, to create uh, safe communities. Um, I hope this discussion has kind of shined some light on where our country can go from here and the fact that we can't continue to do uh, what we have been doing. Uh, thank you so much for listening to me here today. Again, uh, check out my website. Uh, local government consulting is my specialty. I'm particularly interested in creating safe communities. Uh, and uh, please uh, give everything we've said today some thought. Thank you very much for being a part of the Local Matters family. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.